This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thanks, Eric Harthen. You know, for those of you like me who uh, love politics and love this experiment and watching what happens. Have you ever seen things this intense? I mean, maybe 1968? Uh, I don't know. Uh, This is so intense. These stakes are so high right now for all sides, both sides, and they're not subsiding. The stakes are not subsiding. So the the fighting will intensify, but so will the growth and the awareness, and the reflection, those will all equally intensify and increase and make people <laughs> wake up. We're going to get woke, and it's beautiful to see. And here's what I mean. You know, this, <laughs> this Kavanaugh moment uh, is something. It's so fun. Isn't it fun to just stop and recognize that you're in the middle of history? You're in the middle of one of those moments that uh, political science is, is, you know, instructors and in classes will talk about as they did about Anita Hill or as they did about uh, Brown versus Board of Education or Plessy versus Ferguson. You know, or or any Lawrence versus Texas, all the many, many court rulings and court circumstances, which in some ways defined uh, the changes. You know, it was funny. I was rereading about Plessy versus Ferguson, which was in 1896. Yeah. And then it was until uh, 1954 of Brown versus Board of Education, 54, 55. Right. So how many years? That was 58 some odd years of um you know, of segregation being codified or being, you know, adjudicated and affirmed as the way it is. And which led to the whole Woodrow Wilson era and the KKK. And and now here we are. I do the parallel of racism, but now it's about gender. And for those old enough to remember, you know, when the birth control bill came in, that was, I, I, if you ever look to, by the way, that is always on one of the, t- the top 10. If you do a top 10 list of the biggest inventions that affected humanity more than anything, it's on there. Birth control is on there with the, with the computer, with the internet, and with fire <laughs> and things like that uh, because it gave the woman, women the option of controlling their birth. And before there was a control over your birth, then what society had to do was control your sex. You had to make sure you got nowhere near any sperm because you might accidentally have something go wrong that we don't want to, we don't plan. And so males took control of the whole thing, right? And the reason I bring that all up is because here we are, Roe v. Wade, right? 1970, was that three? Uh, Pardon me if I'm wrong. Roe v. Wade is back and with a vengeance. And that is why the stakes are so high. Uh, so we want to talk about that today in Possibility Politics, where the Kavanaugh hearings are, where they're going to go, I believe. And more importantly, I suppose, is how it is being learned. Are we getting the lesson? Right. Are we figuring out what the point is of all this gender discussion and sexual assault and women being respected? 
Um, so many things. One of the things I want to share with you is the psychologists who have been doing speaking tours and writing op-eds and joining think tanks and all explaining to women's explaining, not mansplaining, but women's explaining to men what sexual assault is. I want to tell you a re- retail uh, one of them a speaker, a really interesting speaker does when they when he works with groups and he asks them about sex, a mixed group of females and males and asks them about sexual assault and watches the room have a totally different awareness on each side and uh, and it's great and we're learning from it and it's all coming because of this you know the, the Kavanaugh experience is a symptom of it whether you think he's innocent or not um, it's it's part of the the lesson. And it's part of we have to all talk about it. And we are talking about it. And although it seems like, again, the stakes are high and the intensity and the fighting is increasing, which it is, uh, it is also, again, getting us to look at this lesson and in a way that those who follow, the generation that follows and the people that follow this experience will be so much better for having talked about this, even if this particular one doesn't go your way. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's not going to go your way and it's going to perfectly go your way. It is entirely dependent upon your perspective, whether you're sitting on the left or the right or in the middle trying to figure out what the hell's going on and why this tribalism is so insane, because uh, it will result in both growth and disappointment. And that is what we have to learn from is, are we going to move forward with change and growth and evolution or are we going to fight it and go to our grave convinced that the world is a disaster and it's messed up and it's only getting worse. <laughs> so when we come back, I want to jump right into the stakes and what the stakes are on each side. And I say that I want to say each side because if you're just sitting on one side, as is so commonly the case in our little tribalistic moment that we're having, is you don't know what the other side is really uh, focused on. And by having a little bit of perspective of what the other other folks are attached to, the outcome they are attached to, it will help you recognize why the behavior is so intense, whichever side you're looking at. This is the place where we feelize our way to a saner future. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Welcome to Possibility Politics, and thank you for being part of our growing population. I'm Jeff Stein, and I do this show because I want to be able to look at the world that's going on and love it exactly the way it is and see it for the benefit and enjoy it. I want you all, because most people don't get to enjoy a renaissance or even a reformation or a conflict or a dark ages because they're too busy living it. (laughs) <laughs> right? We're in the middle of it and it's intense and we're scanning our Facebook pages and we're either getting really pissed off or feeling really sorry or feeling whatever. And why not step back and get broad enough that you can enjoy it? So the stakes of this Kavanaugh circumstance, right? Let's start with the right and in particular, the religious right. And if you don't know this, if you're sitting on the left, you're going, why are these people freaking out so much? They're just crazy. Okay. Imagine if you have the issue of abortion and killing babies, babies being killed, however you want to uh, phrase it, as being the, in your mind, the biggest problem in America. It is really just the one biggest problem is we're having abortions, right? And you've been feeling this way in your group and in your tribe, and you've been this way for decades since Roe v. Wade, effectively, and trying to overturn it and trying to change it. And of course, you, there hasn't been much luck. 
on the far right. There have been ebbs and flows. Uh, in fact, recently, as you know, as the Republicans have taken over a lot of legislatures after 2010, the Tea Party wave, there was a wave of abortion, abortion restrictions, which led to places like Texas, where you've got two clinics left and and all kinds of legal challenges. But it, but is, but if you're on that side, you know it's been extremely frustrating because you haven't been able to eradicate it totally. Only in red states have you made it so inconvenient that uh, it has, uh, with all due respect, resulted in more unwanted pregnancies. Ah, there's the unfortunate side effect of being so anti-abortion that you don't offer a path and a, an education uh, other than through the church. And not everybody goes to your church. And so they may not have access to it. And a lot of folks need access to planned parenthood. I know it's an evil word if you're on the right, but that's reason why it's called that is to plan parenthood, which again started in the 60s once birth control really uh, was available in a way that could genuinely and effectively control that, right? But if you wanted to get rid of abortion and you've been working on it, uh, there's one roadblock that always appears. It's the court. It's the Supreme Court, ultimately, right? Other courts, too. But, you know, it always comes down to the Supreme Court. And so if you're not in those circles, you don't know, liberals, if you're not in those circles, you don't know that for decades, getting control of the Supreme Court has been the crusade of crusades. It is the number one thing that needs to happen. And as that has occurred, they have been... On the on the far right, somewhat successful. You know, you've got uh, Scalia, who now died, who got in there. You had Alito. You got Judge, you know, Thomas. Uh, you got Roberts, uh, who were all pretty vehemently. And then now Judge Gorsuch. Okay, you've got four out of five. All you need is the fifth. And and again, Kennedy was kind of supposed to be that guy. Well, it didn't turn out to be a swing vote. So it's been extremely disappointing on the on the Christian right because they've gotten this close to having abortion made illegal in the Supreme Court. They even got like, a, oh, we got the fifth justice. Oh, that fifth justice still upheld Roe v. Wade. Oh, this is so annoying, right? That's a mild way to put it. It looks like a, a crime against God uh, from their perspective, which is about as high and serious as you can get, right? So here they are, and they've been doing this, and they've been uh, betrayed. That's one of the key parts. They brought a new justice in. They put somebody in and they were betrayed because they didn't get the full removal of Roe v. Wade. Well, from a psychological and human standpoint, when you are feeling betrayed and your focus is on betrayal, what's the answer? What's the antidote? Loyalty, right? You want somebody who will you can ever increasingly believe will stay with your party, your tribe, your point of view, your whatever, that they commit to following your your plans more than they commit to judiciousness or reviewing the case or being nonpartisan or being objective. None of those things matter compared to loyalty if betrayal has been your focus, right? And I got Gorsuch. Gorsuch is great for the far right, right? Because he's vehemently Christian-based in his ideals and he did not or he at least has not been alleged to have, uh, you know, sexually assaulted women in his young days. He was pretty squeaky clean his whole life. So he had the combination of of, Chris, of conservative Christian loyalty and uh, a clean cut, uh, you know, background check. <laughs> so they've come to this point where now they're getting the last thing. And, and, and so is it surprising that loyalty 
is the most important thing that Mitch McConnell is demanding, that Donald Trump is demanding, that all of these folks on the right are demanding loyalty. And so they found somebody. Of course, Donald Trump found somebody who was not only loyal to the Christian right, which he knows is his is the people that keep him, uh, you know, a big portion of his base. Right. Not only is he loyal to those Christian right ideals, but he is vehemently loyal to Republican Party, period. This guy has been a professional arguer and lawyer and advocate for everything Republican. And that's one of the reasons why the Republicans only released 10% of his documents from his years in the Bush administration, because they don't want anyone to see how fantastically partisan this person is. I mean, and you can look, obviously, just even what's public record, you can see that Kavanaugh, who on one hand would say that the that Bill Clinton should be impeached and, you know, and, and, have, and should be subpoenaed and should have all of these be completely subjective to justice and the and the Congress. And now he agrees with Donald Trump that the president as long as it's Donald Trump, as long as it's a Republican, as long as the president's a Republican, then they should be immune to prosecution, immune to oversight, and allowed to be trusted because they're on the right team. He's, a, he's one of the most extreme tribalists, certainly, uh, well, not, not certainly, but pretty much the most extreme tribalist in the judiciary, amongst those who hold a judge's or wear a judge's robe. Uh, he is reliably anti-Democrat which we saw in his hearing and his testimony right he said it's a it's a conspiracy of the clintons and 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 you know moneyed interests from the left cabal right and all this stuff okay so the stakes on the religious right are extreme and so much so that you've seen if you've looked around and if you're a political junkie like me and you've looked at some of these protests and they interview folks and they asked these folks, well, what about the sexual harassment? What if he is guilty of sexual harassment? And they literally say, well, it doesn't matter as long as we can overturn Roe v. Wade. If we can save babies, then him being a criminal or a villain, it really doesn't matter as long as we can save the babies. And that's how far it is for their stakes and their tribalism. So they're going to happily take that to the, to the end of the road. Meanwhile... On the other side, I think everybody can recognize the humanity in both sides if you can let down your uh, you know, identification of enemies and just see people as trying to line up with, with what they see as being truth. But on the left, it's about recognizing that women are sexually assaulted pervasively and regularly and have been quiet about it and have been suppressed into, into silence about it extensively. That's why people left and right from Connie Chung, just was another one of the latest ones who just did an op-ed, saying, yeah, I was sexually assaulted. There's so many articles right now about women, written by women, who were sexually assaulted when they were teenagers and have not told anybody, many of them, until the moment they published this op-ed article in this moment. And some have only told a couple of people. And that's how and that stakes are so high because women are tired of being oppressed by these social ideas and men's cluelessness and protecting men <laughs> from their own, you know, uh, maleness. And I'm not doing this to be anti-men because, uh, you know, we're getting as a male, I am thrilled at the education I'm getting. Uh, while simultaneously recognizing, looking at my own house and saying, was I a bad guy? Did I make some inappropriate comments? Uh, and if not, wow, And if, if, if whether or not I did, uh, I want to be part of a future 
where gender, sexuality is of mutual benefit and found to be an enrichment and something we can celebrate in our lives, not something as a power play or something as a desire that I have to control. And so I have to control the other gender. The gender has to control them, has to protect themselves from the, the, the males. The females have to protect themselves from males. You want to get away from that. I want to get to a point where people feel that this is the, this is the diversity of our experience, having male and female genders and the fluidity of it. With all due respect, if you're a if you're a conservative Christian and you want women to be women and men to be men and they're not to deviate from uh, those particular norms as you define them, you're going to have trouble because this next generation, you know, I have a 14-year-old and, uh, you know, I watch he and his friends and teenagers of his ilk and 20-somethings and the fluidity of gender and masculinity versus femininity is here to stay uh, because it's a deep expansion of freedom. You know, maybe you're a guy who who likes a little bit of femininity to you. Maybe you're a woman who likes to summon her masculine sign and side, you know, and this is beautiful and this is where it's going and it's of mutual benefit. And it's fun. I was walking by a construction site and I saw the, uh, uh, a couple ladies amongst the men. And, and you can imagine, now I'm not going to be stereotypical, but the two ladies weren't exactly glamour girls off of a fashion set, right? They were, uh, you know, chicks who could wield a hammer and kick some, you know, some booty when it comes to construction. And I was looking at this going, that's awesome. And they were all just kind of doing their thing. It didn't seem from my general observation that there was anything that the gender part of it mattered. It was just reduced down to, hey, uh, can he or she get the job done? And if so, and are they nice about it? <laughs> are they, you know, it's like be nice and do a good job. And I don't care about the gender and I don't care about the, the other parts of it, right? So when we come back, I want to get into what some of the speakers have been doing and some of the commentary about this revelation of, of women and, and their experience and that, yes, they're being assaulted and maybe you didn't know to the degree that they were, which is a permanent revelation. This is a revelation that's going to occur whether or not Kavanaugh is confirmed. He's just a part of the story, but we will still get into that part of the story and I'll lay down the probabilities and the, and the circumstances of whether he gets confirmed and what will happen next. Because this is the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you so much for listening. And, you know, it... Again, please enjoy this. Please see this for what it is. I, I say that and I keep emphasizing that because I, I don't know if you're like a, one of these people that tunes into the, the social energy. <laughs> you know, it sounds all woo-woo, but man, it's intense right now and it's spilling into people's lives. I'm watching folks just be edgier uh, because of the, the national, social, political, economic, spiritual discord. But that discord... It's because we want these. You know, I have an expression I use when I would talk to my clients, which is when something is painfully obvious, right? You've heard the expression, painfully obvious. Well, the great thing about painfully obvious, it means you've had enough pain. <laughs> That's why it's painful. You've had enough pain and the course forward is clear. You know what to do. You've had enough pain and you know what to do. And quite frankly, that's a good place to be. <laughs> and that's where the society is. So one of the things that I was fascinated by 
There's a speaker, and I'm going to try to find his name, uh, who goes around. He's done a good hundred some odd speeches. I was reading about him, and he talks in front of crowds to kind of explain the dynamics of sexual assault and give some a little bit of the things. And, and one of the things he opens with is he again mixed crowd of males and females, and he says, "All right, we're going to. I'm going to ask you what steps you take as an individual to prevent yourself from being sexually assaulted." And then he does this where he says, let's start with the men. Men, what do you do to prevent yourself from being sexually assaulted? And you can imagine the result. It's quiet. There's a little bit of giggling, he says, nervous laughter because people are like, Ugh. and then invariably some guy will make a joke about prison assault and say, I avoid being sexually assaulted, but I just don't go to prison, right? Because that's what they think it would happen. Ah, ha, ha, you know, that's true, right? You don't want to go to prison. That's where you're going to get sexually assaulted as a male. And then he asks the women, all right, ladies. Tell us some examples of what you do personally to avoid being sexually assaulted. And ladies, you know, you can come up with 10 right off the top of your head. Oh, I put my key between my two fingers when I go to the car. So if I need to stab somebody, I look in the back seat before I get in the car. I don't use a go to a dark parking lot. Uh, I wear certain things at certain locations. I don't go out alone under certain circumstances. I don't make eye contact with certain people. I try to use my, you know, I'm just goes on and on and on and on. And then he makes this list and I came and get the list because I could fill, fill the show with things that women do to avoid being sexually assaulted. And you could see the benefit of that for the men in the room to go, whoa, this is something y'all think about a lot. Yeah. And again, not to bunk, I got to get into the consciousness of this because everything's a tango. The victim, I get, is the victim, and we all have uh, sympathy for the victim, and the perpetrator is evil, and we all have hatred for the evil. But you should also look deeper and to know that Zen, that more Zen side of it, which is that the two are in a tango. When you, as the victim, increase your focus on victimhood, you're actually perpetuating it. You're adding to it. And when you, as the perpetrator or people who are trying to ignore the perpetrator, don't recognize the victimhood, you also add to more victimization. Everybody has to see their part in the tango. And that's why it was so beautiful to hear about this teacher and the speaker doing this, because it makes men go, oh my gosh, I, I have a newfound sympathy, empathy for women and their daily need to avoid becoming a victim of sexual assault. And I have a new awareness that it's occurring that I have some crappy folks amongst my gender who when that, now when they say something, because he also does that sort of thing, he talks about the topic of, of you know, men making off-color comments in a group, you know, locker room talk, right? And look what Billy Bush learned from the locker talk, locker room talk. Obviously, Donald Trump was elevated to president, but Billy Bush had a career reset and is just now on the rebuild because he enabled it. And he went, that's funny, that's just funny, that's a funny joke, then you grab him by the pee. And that's our job as men is to go, whoa, I gotta be aware of this behavior. This is not cool. And when this happens, I need to kind of say, is this a joke or is this something where I need to step in and say, dude, you really seriously think that sort of thing? Because, you know, I've been listening to women lately and you guys actually scare the crap out of them because there's enough of us who are actually doing this that even your off-color jokes are adding to that danger and that, you know, cycle of, of violence and victimhood. Not everybody is aware of what is going on, but look who we are now, right? 
Dr. Blasey Ford speaks up. And what are the Republicans doing right now in the Senate? Mitch McConnell and company are trying to do everything they can to get this loyalist, Brett Kavanaugh, because he will deliver what they believe is the... Because when you lose electorally and you only win temporarily electorally and you keep losing to people like Obama, that damn Obama, well, then you want to control the court. And you want to control the court with such extreme loyalists that no matter what comes through, whether it's a corporate issue or a political issue or a voting issue or a, a women's uh, gender rights issue or, or uh, the, the, the life liberty of people in Puerto Rico, you want a jurist who will side with the party no matter what and find no criminality amongst your tribe and find infinite criminality amongst your enemy's tribe. That is Mitch McConnell's goal. And he even sold his soul and blocked Merrick Garland. He blocked Obama's pick for a, a very moderate, reasonable judge, whatever that's worth. But he could have he could have nominated a liberal one. You know, nominating a judge that shares your point of view is one thing. But nominating somebody who is loyal no matter what to your tribe is not something that we typically appreciate in a, in a judge, left or right or middle. Nobody wants somebody who will always side with one group, no matter what they do, criminal or otherwise, right? That's it. If you get a chance, by the way, listen to my daily belief game on uh, from loyalty to betrayal uh, or loyalty to betrayal, because uh, that's a good topic you should look at. Why do you want loyalty? Why do you want betrayal? Why do you fear betrayal and what it says about you? But anyway, um, which you'll find on the same place where you'll find this podcast. So I'm going to take another quick break, but when I come back, I want to tell one more story about the male disconnect from what this sexual assault is, one of the great learning curves that's also occurring, and and where this is going to go. What happens if Kavanaugh is or is not confirmed as far as the election, as far as the momentum of, the, of one side or another winning or not winning, and more importantly, how it ties into this renaissance that we are in right now because the growth is happening. And that's what we do here at Possibility Politics. It's the place we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it. I'll be right back. I'm Jeff Stanley. Uh, welcome to the final segment of Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. And we're talking about the era of the woman. And this has been brewing up for a while, obviously. Even with Hillary's candidacy, it was like, oh, it's the first female president. And that didn't quite go well. <laughs> and yet it did. Because if you trace the line, again, the historians will have the benefit of like, did not Jeff? I'm a big Hillary supporter and it was horrible. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It was horrible. Um, and it's led to a, a circumstance which is a, a, an increase in chaos that we did not uh, know was coming. But of course we did if we thought about it. Look at these forces that were being hitting against each other. Genderism, racism, uh, colonialism, uh, nationalism, uh, all of these isms, uh, patriotism uh, under the guise of patriotism. Mostly it's patriotism to create exclusion, right? Don't let those people in. We don't want those people to have a voice. We don't want those people to be able to speak for our country, only my people. And then that which leads us to the biggest of all, tribalism. And, and, and you can always tell when tribalism is about to die or at least have a recess. Because, again, it'll, it'll come and go. It ebbs and flows. It's like the stock market, right? But it always ends on a, on, a, on a higher note. 
But the way you can tell that tribalism is about to peak out and blow up is because there is an equal and opposite, if you will, uh, increase in hypocrisy. When hypocrisy gets at its highest, that means tribalism is highest, right? You can see the definition of that makes sense, right? Because tribalism means I will stick to what my tribe says, no matter if it is completely in contradiction to what I have previously said to be true or what I previously believed in, right? Like Republicans are all talking about how it has to be a fair process, this confirmation of Kavanaugh, and they're only releasing 10% of the documents of his career and rushing through an investigation that doesn't actually interview people, including him. It doesn't even interview him. It doesn't even interview the accusers, right? They just want it to be, they just want to win. But again, the stakes are so high on the religious right and then just even the tribalist right. They have been trying to get a hold of the Supreme, control of the Supreme Court. If you're on the left, you don't know this, but this is the number one topic on the right is control of the Supreme Court. And this is finally the moment. They blocked Merrick Garland and, and then they got that seat with Gorsuch, and then they got another death with with uh, with uh, Kennedy, not Kennedy, a retirement. They got the death of Scalia, sorry, the retirement of Kennedy. He's still alive. And now is the moment they can get the 5-4. So what will happen? Well, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, it means that uh, effectively Murkowski and Collins and Jeff Flake have succumbed to the pressure of tribalism and to the pressure of this is the last chance for you to get control of Supreme Court, and it is so important, and every Republican is screaming of them so so loud that if you don't do this, we will you know no longer support you. It would basically they may feel the pressure that if because Flake wants to run for president in 2020, I guarantee you, I guarantee it. And Murkowski and Collins want to get reelected in their next cycle, which isn't this year, of course. It's not until 2020 for Collins, I think, and Murkowski. I think they're both up in 2020. And they want to get reelected. And there is the basic conundrum that if you lose the base, then you are going to have trouble in the party you want to be reelected. So now Murkowski and Collins are a unique circumstance because they have had an A rating with Planned Parenthood and continue to get reelected by a Republican and independent and Democratic. They get some Democratic votes, too, which is why they continue to be sitting senators. Even though they're Republicans, they are kind of aisle crossers in terms of the vote count. If they can, if they don't confirm Kavanaugh, you can expect the religious right to try to destroy them. If they do confirm Kavanaugh, you can expect the left to try to destroy them. That's how high the stakes are. They are in a Kobayashi Maru, as Star Trek says. There is not much of a win circumstance. But they have to ask themselves, if they, and if I, was, if I was their chief of staffs, I would say to them, Senator, all three of them, if you want to have a future in politics, then you should look at the future. Are we moving to a place where uh, Roe v. Wade, we're going to go back to having no abortions and contraception is, it could be made illegal? And people who are victims of assault will not be listened to and they will expect to be to be silenced. If that's the direction you think the country is going, then giddy up. But if you think it's moving to a place where we're getting a greater understanding of our gender problems and sexual assault and the threat on women, both for their reproductive rights and their rights as wives and mothers and their rights as just women citizens to be free and safe in their world. And if you're going that direction, then Murkowski, Collins, and Flake would be wise to not confirm Kavanaugh. And that's just on the one issue. 
and they don't even have to use that issue. They can tell their their base. They can say, look, I'm all for getting another conservative judge, somebody else. Judge Kavanaugh doesn't have the temperament. He's obviously too irrational. He's obviously too partisan. And we have some questions about the perjury he has committed between the time he spoke to us for his original Senate confirmation for his District Court of Appeals job to uh, this moment. And they can use that as political cover and say, you know what? Uh, I don't know if he did or did not sexually harass these folks, but he doesn't have the temperament and the character. Give me another conservative judge. Give me your next conservative judge. And we'll do it in the lame duck session after the election. And they could move that and they could pull that off probably and still keep their Republican base. But if they confirm Kavanaugh, they will have such a reaction from the left and the middle because the left and the middle, as polling unequivocally states, is moving in the direction I just mentioned towards more female uh, equality and understanding and respect and uh, knowing that assaults occur and being aware of them and being responsive to them and taking them seriously. That is where it is going. The Me Too generation isn't a blip that will seed away. This is the truth of the female's perspective and male's emerging perspective. And there's no way it's not going to continue because we're moving in the direction of freedom. And when you move in the direction of freedom, you always win. We're never going to take back the right of women to vote. You're never going to go back to a time of slavery, even though Kanye West said that the 13th Amendment should be abolished. (laughs) Another story, Google it, hilarious. Kanye God bless him. He's all over the place. Thank God he's he's not a politician and he's just a rap singer, which he does super well. Because <laughs> uh, the politics part, he's, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> where is it going? Well, that's the, the Murkowski-Collins-Flake dilemma. And if they do confirm Judge Kavanaugh, it kind of calms down the far right. They suddenly feel like they won. And now they've, they're, they're complete. And yes, they may still vote with some enthusiasm in 2018. But one thing is unequivocal, that the enthusiasm on the middle and the left in opposition of this will be beyond vociferous. You can expect the Senate to flip as well as the House if Kavanaugh is confirmed. And the other side of this, and the funny thing is it's a weird win-win, lose-lose for Mitch McConnell, right? Because Mitch McConnell just wants to stay in power in his job. And so he has to rile up the Republican base. So he looks at it like, hey, if Murkowski and Collins and Flake or anybody else block the Kavanaugh nomination, then he and all his Republican friends can sell to the base. If you want that fifth Supreme Court justice seat to overturn Roe v. Wade, you got to vote for us and you got to go vote vehemently. And so the Kavanaugh being not confirmed could actually be a boost to Republicans and maybe increase their chances of retaining the Senate, although all indicators are that uh, they're going to lose the Senate, at least the numbers I'm looking at compared to historical circumstances. uh, There's so much pointing in the direction, uh, and it's not just Beto O'Rourke beating Ted Cruz. Uh, You know, they're up in Dean Heller is behind Jackie Rosen in Nevada. That's one, making it 50-50. Uh, the uh, in, in Arizona, McSally is uh, behind Kirsten Cinema, Kirsten Cinema, the Democrats. So that's two. Now you're at 5149. The Democrats already control the Senate. Now you say, oh, there's Democrats that are vulnerable, like Heidi Heidkamp. Nope, she's pulling ahead. Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is pulled, just came out of made him 12 points ahead. Uh, Claire McCaskill in Missouri. Nope, she's ahead. Joe Donnelly, kind of close, a little iffy, but still ahead and still looking good. And he's got a much better campaign. Bill Nelson versus Rick Scott. Bill Nelson is pulling ahead more and more every day. So all likelihood, the Senate's going to go with Democratic hands. Now, it might be somewhat, you might get a weird resurgence if they block, the if the Kavanaugh confirmation goes down. 
it could cause a surge in Republican enthusiasm. And that could, you know, result in uh, a different outcome. But I don't think so. This is where things are headed. Uh, this blue wave is uh, it's not just because, again, because of Democrats and blueness. It's this Trump re- Republicanism has the entire Republican Party split in two because there's many Republicans who have become independents because they're so disgusted by his behavior, his total lack of law and order. And of course, uh, once this election is over, uh, November 6th, you can expect on the Wednesday of through Friday of November 7th through 8th, a series of indictments dropped from Bob Mueller and company. It will come fast after that, if not the very next days that follow. They're waiting, of course, because they don't want to tamper with the election like James Comey did. And so they're trying to wait. But here's the other thing. Men are waking up and recognizing this. Another article in Washington Post, I highly recommend you look at it. It was written by a female psychologist who said, guys, let me explain to you why your daughters and sisters and wives have not told you about the sexual assault experiences they have had. And it's fascinating. And you have to read the article. Again, that would take a whole show to break it down. But you can think of the obvious ones, right? They said, I didn't want to tell my dad because I, that I was raped because I knew that he would end up in prison because he would go kill my rapist. Wow, that's interesting. So can't tell for that reason. I didn't want to tell my brothers I was sexually assaulted or raped because they would never look at me the same. Right? Another one. Uh, or I just didn't want to relive the pain with somebody who would now feel my pain and carry it around. That if I told my brother, sister, father, son, that they would perpetually see me as a pained, damaged person. You know, and so women in classic womanhood, classic womanhood, it's emerging and changing. Uh, they take it, they feel it, they sacrifice emotionally and internally. It's kind of been a female trait, and I'm making an overgeneralized stereotype. But for you ladies, you know this one, right? You're nurturers. You go, you know what? Uh, if there's going to be pain, I'll just soak it up, I'll deal with it, and then I'll just keep quiet about it, right? Men have their version, which is I just I just reject my emotions entirely. I'm just going to assume they don't exist so I can just press, press on and get it done. And, you know, different sides of a similar coin, but you get the point. But that's it. That's the beautiful part is this dialogue is happening right now in households everywhere. Men and women are coming home, and sometimes it's nasty, right? Because sometimes you're going home and the guy's going, this is a bunch of crap against Kavanaugh. He's completely innocent. And the women in their lives are going, excuse me? You don't think she told the truth? Why do you think she went into there? You think she went in there just as a conspiracy to try to take this guy down? That this random woman who has never been like, she's not like some sort of Democratic Party operative, as Kavanaugh would describe her. She was a reluctant, terrified witness who felt that this is the era, this is the moment when this dialogue needs to be heard, whether he's confirmed or not, because he may be confirmed. And then we'll go into the next year with a Democratic Senate And by that time, of course, Mueller's charges will have been dropped on everybody. And we will see the the, the extreme criminality of this White House. And then you go into this lame duck period where the Republicans try to throw a bunch of things out before they run out of power, losing both chambers of the Congress. And then you go in where now you're looking at impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh off the Supreme Court. I think there's been one judge in American history that's been impeached and the few that have been removed by the judiciary itself and their own oversight process. But I think there's only been one that was impeached and it was a pretty extreme case of corruption. 
And an impeachment, again, it has to go. Got to get a two-thirds majority, as I recall. In the Senate, it's a, it's a hard process. And maybe they go to impeachment, and then the tribalist Republicans still refuse to remove him, even though they have found and investigated, and they did the actual interviewing of the 60 witnesses who have contacted the FBI to verify uh, Blasey Ford's uh, perspective and the other perspective of Ramirez and the other victims of Kavanaugh and Judge. 60 witnesses have lined up to say, to corroborate these stories of the abuses. If the Democrats are in control, they will all be heard from, as well as the Democrats will actually examine the perjury of Kavanaugh. And then they will have more than enough evidence to impeach him, far more than enough evidence to impeach him. And then it will either occur, because you get enough Republicans who recognize after being shellacked in 2018 that they better behave like human beings and go along with obvious criminality, or they'll revert to complete tribalism. And then you go into and then refuse to impeach him. And then you go into 2020 that will make the Democratic wave of 2018 look like a warm up because in the 2020 elections, um, the Senate, the Senate again, Senate a third of the Senate is always up for re-election. Well, this time or that this time around, it's only it's twenty some odd Democrats that are up and only ten Republicans. Well, the next time around, it's twenty something Republicans that are up for re-election. Many in blue states, and so now you can get a situation where not only will the Republican right in its tribalism self-destroy. Yeah, they'll have their Supreme Court justice for a short time. But then they will lose the presidency. They will expand the Senate for Democrats into the 60 plus senators range. And then they will have the numbers to not only impeach Kavanaugh, impeach everybody that they felt and maybe even Gorsuch because they may determine that because he was appointed during Trump's uh, treasonous, strong word, conspiracy against the United States uh, criminal money laundering, Russia collaborating moment, they might find that presidency note so toxic at that point that they remove both justices or they'll do something that FDR did. Uh, the new Democratic president after 20, who takes over in 2021, will simply, with a full Democratic uh, Senate and a full Democratic House, will simply nominate two more judges and bring the total on the Supreme Court to 11. Didn't know they could do that, did you? Did you know that? Did you know that at any time the Senate can keep the Senate and a president could add justices to the Supreme Court? It was done before. It used to be seven. Now it's nine. It used to be five, I believe, in the founding founding fathers. You have to look that up, verify me there. But they can bring it to eleven, and so a fully waived Democratic twenty twenty one circumstance could just say, you know what? Yeah, fine. If we can't remove them, we're just going to go ahead and add two more justices. And so now it's back to a uh, a majority of folks who are who are adjudicating based on you know principle instead of just partisanship. But this is an inevitable circumstance when you've got a tribalist wave like we started in the '90s. Uh, basically, when it started to really ramp up, it got going in the '80s, and the, you know, and then by the '90s, it was pure full tribalism. Participated, uh, you know, based around Clinton and Newt Gingrich, and each one of them had their absolute role in that partisan tribalism. If you get to that point, then you will next obvious logical step is to tribalize the Supreme Court and all the courts for that matter. But that will all flip in a wave like you've never seen before because you cannot reverse freedoms. Freedoms have to advance. Sanity has to advance. Gender sensibility will advance. Racial equality advances. 
You know, sexual orientation equality advances, economic equality advances. You will see minimum wages go through the roof. You will see a taxation that's more equitable. You will see corporations uh, that have requirements that make them not only fiscally responsible, but fiduciarily responsible to its employees like they did in California, where now every corporate board is required to have at least one woman on it because there are so many corporate boards that only have men. This is all coming, and it's coming fast. But, again, brace yourself. These next few months will be incredibly ugly. I'm not going to lie to you because the stakes on both sides are so high, and this is the peak of the fight. Try to step back from the ugly and just see how we're doing as people. Thank you for listening. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate your time. I appreciate that if you share in my sanity, uh, contact me if I make any sense to you. If I don't make any sense to you, contact me as well. And until next time, uh, keep it broad and be patient. That's how you keep your sanity. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.